But those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we come before you again this morning asking you to be here with us. And we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts, your thoughts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to be clear about something from the very start. Um, I adore my cell phone. From the very first time I found myself in the grocery store not knowing if I wanted tuna fish packed in water or in oil, and I was actually able to call and find out from right there in the aisle, I was in love. I love social media, being able to keep up with my friends, GPS maps, weather prediction, Google at my fingertips. It's all incredible, and I love all of it. I do admit, though, to a certain disturbing compulsion with the phone. Whenever there's a moment in which nothing else is going on or even just a lull in conversation, I feel that itch in my fingers starting to try to reach toward my pocket. What's going on? Has anyone emailed me? How many likes does my last Instagram post have? I've even... I'm ashamed to admit, very rarely texted while driving. Why would I do that? It's crazy. What's going on? Where does this compulsion to reach for my phone come from? And I don't think I ever really knew until Louis C.K. told me. Now, he didn't tell me personally. It was in the context of a stand-up comedy routine. For anybody who doesn't know who Louis C.K. is, he's sort of like the all-star of comedy right now. And one of the reasons he's so funny is that he's really insightful into the truth about the human condition. And the particular insight of his that I want to share with you this morning happens to be about the cell phone. You see, Louis C.K. says that the reason we text and drive is because we cannot stand for even a second to be alone with our thoughts about our lives. Here's what he says. Underneath everything in our lives, there's that thing, that empty, that forever empty, the knowledge that it's all for nothing and that you're alone. And when things clear away, and you're not watching anything or you're in your car, that knowledge that you're alone starts to visit on you. Just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad. That's why we text and drive, he says. I look around, pretty much 100% of people are driving or texting. People are willing to take a life to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. People are willing to risk taking a life 
and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. Now, of course, as Christians, we do not believe that we are on our own, and we do not believe that it's all for nothing. And yet, we know this feeling, don't we? We understand what Louis C.K. is talking about. All people do. Remember last week, that agonized cry at the end of the section we read from Romans 7? After Paul laments his inability to do the things he wants and his compulsion to do the things he hates, he sort of shouts out into the void, who will rescue me from this body of death? Anyone who has come face to face with the truth about themselves has cried out in this way. Maybe not out loud out an open window, uh, maybe just as you clench the sides of your sink into the mirror this morning. Who can save me from this mess that I've made? This is what Louis C.K. is talking about, the empty. The empty that most people feel, the reason we can't stand being alone, even for a moment. We need a rescuer. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This is the universal human cry. Louis C.K., St. Paul, you, me, the person next to you in the pew, every single one of us. Who will rescue us? Well, we got the answer last week. Spoiler alert, our Savior is Jesus Christ. Redeemer of the world. But let's think for a moment this week about the empty that Louis C.K. describes. Who will save us daily from that? Now, many people, Christians included, come somehow to the, inclu- to, to the conclusion that daily we're going to have to save ourselves. And I think this comes from the fact that we are inveterate doers not able to trust other people to do things for us. We like, when we see a problem, to roll up our sleeves and get to work. We are producers. We like tangible results. We like to look back at the end of a day and see a job well done. But truly introspective people, those people who are honest with themselves about themselves, know that usually things don't work out so simply. Things aren't right the way they are. We feel the friction between the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. That's why everyone is working so hard. Everyone is striving. Everyone is struggling. Every person you see on the street, every person you meet in your life is working, striving, trying to figure out a way to get from the way things are to the way they think things ought to be. Because at the end of most days, we look back and we don't see a job well done. Our tangible results are disappointing. Our personal production department hasn't met its quota. We got to work, 
We struggled, we strived, but our work left us short of our goal. And of course, worst of all, we wake up the next morning, we roll up our sleeves again and get back to work, but more often than not, come away once again defeated. As Louis C.K. said, life can be tremendously sad in this way. So in general, I think we can agree with Louis C.K. about our diagnosis that life is impossible. Life is tremendously sad. We don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. So if that's the diagnosis, what's the prescription? What will rescue us from this body of death? What's the medicine we can take to fix things? How do we heal ourselves from this sickness? Now, like I said before, we are workers. We are doers. We are producers. We want to get to work healing ourselves, but what do we do? What's the rehab regimen? Our cell phones can distract us for a few moments, but we know that that's not a lasting solution. To find a more permanent healing, many Christians have turned to these verses from Romans that we read this morning, or the many verses like them in the New Testament. St. Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit Set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. There you go. It seems that this is a simple prescription. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. You will have life and peace. And don't live according to the flesh because that leads to death. Simple enough, right? And to our workaholic ears to our ears that are addicted to doing things, addicted to production. This sounds downright attractive. Sounds like good medicine. But, and I'm sure you'll be shocked to hear this, I think St. Paul is saying something a bit different. And thankfully, Jesus has words for us this morning that can help us understand what St. Paul is saying here. So before we launch our 500-week sermon series on exactly how to avoid living according to the flesh and how to get busy living according to the Spirit, let's get some interpretive help from Jesus Christ himself. And to do it, we're going to look at his parable of the sower. Now, You know this story well. There's a sower sowing seeds, and seeds fall on different kinds of soil. Some fall on the path, some on rocky ground, some among thorns. And all of these seeds fail to flourish. They're eaten by birds, they can't be sustained by insufficient soil, or they're choked by thorns. Only the seeds that fall on good soil flourish. The seeds that are eaten by the birds symbolize people who don't understand the word of the kingdom. The seeds sown on rocky ground symbolize those who fall away because of persecution or lack of a deep root of faith. And the seed sown amongst the thorns 
symbolize those whose faith is choked away by the cares of the world. Only the seed sown on the good soil, representing people who hear the word and understand it, can take root and grow, bearing fruit 30, 60, even a hundredfold. Now, our natural instinct as human beings is to interpret this parable in the same way that we wanted to interpret those sentences from Romans 8. There it was, live according to the Spirit, don't live according to the flesh. Here it's, make sure you are the seed sown on the good soil. Don't be like the seed sown on the path, or on the rocky ground, or among the thorns. Here's the thing though. Jesus has told this story, told this parable of the sower in such a way that we simply cannot interpret it like that. That natural human interpretation, be careful what kind of seed you are, makes literally no sense in the context of the parable. How can a seed choose which kind of soil it's going to be sown in? It's impossible. It's the sower who sows the seeds. The seeds mindlessly fall wherever they are sown. You see, Jesus has given us the most passive illustration possible. A sower sows seeds. We are not the sower in this story. We are the seeds. Hear me. You are not the sower in this story. You are the seeds. Now, this can be disturbing. I understand that. It seems to take away our agency. If we're just the seeds, doesn't that make us powerless to control where the sower sows us? How then can we control our fates? How can we make sure that we're those flourishing seeds? Well, we can't. We don't control our fates. But take comfort, brothers and sisters. This is good news, not bad news. The fact that we are passive seeds being sown by an active sower is only scary until we know that the sower is God Almighty, Father of Jesus Christ, Savior and Redeemer of the world. To people who can't always, or let's be honest, who can't ever control where their minds are set, hearing these words, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, is terrifyingly scary until you read what Paul writes directly before and directly after it. Hear these words of comfort from Romans 8 and verse 9. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. Do you notice what's missing? There are no conditions here. There is no if-then. Just you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. This is an announcement And guess what? If you look back at the scary verses, 
To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace? There are no conditions there either. No if then. These verses are not prescriptions. These verses are not medicine for you to use to heal yourself. They are descriptions of the goodness of the good news. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. This is the sweetest gospel. Beautiful music to the ears of us who worry that we don't adequately set our minds on the spirit, that we might be the ones who have been sown on the path or on the rocky soil or among the thorns. We, whose hard work doesn't yield the results we'd hoped for and whose production departments have fallen well short of expectation. Right after we realize our shortcomings, our inability to do what we want and our compulsion to do what we hate, we call out to God for a savior and we have one. Thanks be to God who saves through Jesus Christ our Lord. But Paul is not done. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen to that. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is what God has done. Hear the good news today. On account of Christ, you don't have to worry about whether you are in the spirit or in the flesh. God has acted. On account of Christ, the God who gave his life for you, you are in the spirit. Period. You don't have to worry about what kind of soil you're planted in. God has acted. On account of Christ, you are the seed thrown on good soil, period. We agreed on the diagnosis. Simply put, life is impossible. But what's the prescription? How do you heal yourself? You don't. God has acted. You are healed. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and there is nothing more you must do. We don't need to be doers anymore. We've been promoted. We're not in the production department. We're in the celebration department. So let's celebrate. Let's bask in the sunshine of a day in which there is no work to be done. Our tangible results are prepared for us in advance by Christ, and the doors of our personal production departments are locked tight 
and there are banners hanging out the windows proclaiming, it is finished. In Christ, God has done what your hard work couldn't, made a sinner like you righteous. He has sown you on good, fertile soil and has sent his Son to dwell within you. So, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. This is absolutely true. But take comfort. God has acted. You are in the Spirit on account of Christ's accomplishment for you. In him, you have life and peace. Amen.